Welcome to episode 61 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Ruddy Director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be discussing Lost, Season 5, Episodes 2 through 4. The first episode up this week is the episode entitled, The Lie. So Matt, there's a simple favor I ask of you, and you have 70 hours to complete it. Do you think you can do it for me? I I will try my damnedest to do it in the 70-hour time limit, which this episode does establish that if this stuff going on with the Oceanic Six returning to the island They've got a very small window of time to rally the troops, get everybody back and head out, which sets a ticking clock and gets things really off to the races. This episode mostly focuses on Hurley. And I did love that the Hurley storyline really starts to pay off a lot of his home life. And we get another view. Hurley has another ghost encounter, this time with your favorite character. Anna Lucia, who shows up, and I loved that moment because it was so unexpected, and to see Michelle Rodriguez popping in as Anna Lucia again. Marcelo, what did you think when Hurley got pulled over by the cops and upsteps your favorite Losty to to give him a warning? I I, I loved that particular sort of nod uh, to characters that we have seen in the past. You know what I thought when he first pulled over? Now that the car is pulled over, because he's hallucinating, is he still driving? When the ghost of Anna Lucia walked away from the car, I was like, are they going to do a hard cut to Hurley almost crashing into something? Really loved uh, that specific scene. The other thing that I loved about this episode is the episode starts with the Oceanic Six discussing on whether or not it behooves them to lie. And I love the fact that basically almost everyone else is on board, but the only one that keeps saying we should tell the truth, we shouldn't lie, is Hurley. You guys know that the way that Hurley has been written, at least this season and a little bit of last season, has made me kind of annoyed because I have viewed him as the character that the writers have chosen to make suffer for no explainable reason. I really don't like how they make him suffer and how they tie in his possible mental illness to being a strength. That moment where Hurley is trying to make his case for not having to lie is so good. Um, You know, as he's sitting there and he's like, don't make me do this. I can't do it. We shouldn't do it. And he even says to Saeed, I will remember this decision, and if you need my help one day, I will not give it to you, which is not a typical thing for Hugo to say, but it just shows the gravity of the situation, and Jorge Garcia in those moments gives some of his best performances on the show because he's really digging deep for that emotion and just the pain of how much it will take for him to lie to everyone and that mental anguish that it's going to inflict is a cost that Hurley doesn't think he's going to be able to survive paying, which I thought was great. 
And in that Anna Lucia moment, it's fun. And as she leaves, she says, oh yeah, Libby says hi. And we do get some classic Hurley hijinks in his scenes. Like when he, he goes to the gas station and uh, he picks out that I love Shih Tzu shirt because he's covered in blood and he's got to change his clothes. That's just comical and funny. And he's hoping that the woman in the convenience store doesn't recognize him as a murderer. And uh, I love all of that. And then seeing his family, he has a nice talk with Cheech as his dad, where he says, like, you just got to believe me and and roll with it. And his dad's saying, okay, like, we'll do whatever needs to be done. And Hurley's hiding out at home. And I just love that that family dynamic, ever since his dad has come back, Hurley and his dad have this great relationship where they can be honest with each other. They can acknowledge that a bunch of stuff has gone down. But from here on out, his dad is like ride or die for Hugo, which I just love. I think that on a show that has so many bad dads, as I've said before, it's so great to see that Hurley's dad is continuously making the effort, even though they have all these roadblocks, he's still doing the right thing by his son. And I just, I love that. And of course, on the island stuff is where the time travel island skipping through time starts to go haywire. What did you think of that haywire jumping through time still on the island stuff, Marcelo? I really enjoy the time jumping thing. I really like what they do with a specific character in the character of Scarlet. The theory that I had as to why Scarlet kept getting the nosebleeds really gets turned upside down this week. I really loved the scene between Hurley and his mom when, when, when they're sitting at the kitchen table and Hurley finally, you know, he finally breaks and he tells his mom everything. And he basically tells his mom the cliff version of everything that has happened on the show so far. And after Hugo does that, after Hugo unburdens himself, his mom says, listen, I don't understand everything, but I believe you. In that moment, the camera pans over to Hurley's face. The look of relief on his face is just, just so wonderful. We've seen Hurley go batshit crazy in so many ways, but nobody has ever really truly believed him when he says something that is batshit crazy. I found it so fitting that the two people that would finally believe him after he opened up about what truly happened on the island were his parents. Yeah, that was a great moment. And again, you know, Jorge Garcia is just killing it in this episode because he's getting to do so much and show so much more range than Hurley has in previous episodes. And that scene is really good where he's telling her everything and we we go through a bunch and she does say, yeah, I don't understand it, but I believe you. And that's such a great moment. And then his dad takes Saeed to Jack at the hospital and drops him off. And Jack phones Ben and tells him that Saeed has shown up and that Hurley is, you know, at home or whatever. And earlier it has been established that Saeed has told Hurley, do not trust Ben. Whatever Ben tells you to do, do the opposite. So I love the moment where Hurley is hiding out at home away from the cops who think that he's a murderer and they're waiting outside his house. And 
Ben shows up and says, like, you got to come with me. We won't have to lie anymore. It'll all be over. Come with me. We'll go back to the island and everything will be cool. So just come on. Come on, Hugo. You got to you got to come with me. You got to trust me. And I just love that Hurley thinks it over a second. And he goes, never, dude. And then bolts for the door and surrenders himself to the cops. And his surrender is this great triumphant moment where he's being arrested. And he's like, I killed four people, three people, however many people it is. I killed them all. And I'm just like, yeah, you do what you got to do to get the hell away from Benjamin Linus. And that was amazing. I love that he would rather go to jail than trust Ben. And the look on Ben's face when he's like, oh man, my plan has been thwarted by this guy is just so priceless. As much as I love that scene when Hugo basically says, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to listen to you, Benjamin, and basically runs out and surrenders himself to the cops. If you are going to trust a devil once in your life, now would be the proper time to do it. But I completely understand why Hugo had that reaction because it makes sense logically from a story point it makes sense but in that moment I just wanted Hugo to trust Ben but I knew he wasn't going to do it you're almost screaming like this time maybe you should but I just I did enjoy that he never dude and then just such a Hugo thing to do that it was priceless most of the on island stuff is just about the time skipping and showing up in different places and encountering different groups of others during different points in time and having to escape alive. You know, Juliet almost gets a hand lopped off and they do explain more of Charlotte starts to get headaches and is forgetting things. And Daniel doesn't want to tell Charlotte what is wrong because he knows that there's something going on with this dislodged in time. And it's not as severe as Minkowski on the boat but it's still related, but he doesn't disclose everything in this episode. And she, she's worried about the headaches, but Charlotte hasn't, hasn't escalated as far as it will very shortly. But the main on Island stuff at the end of this is that finally Sawyer, Juliet and their group meet up with John Locke, who saves them from a moment by they're at gunpoint and Locke, Locke saves them and uh, finally like that group is back together on the time skipping island which I was glad to have and the oh shit moment of the episode that you alluded to earlier is that after Hurley gets arrested Ben tracks down Eloise Hawking and we see this weird device that is like creating these weird astral maps and She's cloaked in a hood looking like a Jedi or something. And she tells him she has figured out the location of the island, but you only have 70 hours before this information is irrelevant and the island will be lost. And if you can't get all the Oceanic Six back together and back on that island, then God help us all. And I was like, oh my, what? This is crazy. On that terrifying note, we move on to the next episode entitled Jughead. This episode, which is the on-island stuff is still all of the 
time skipping and meeting different factions and the off island stuff is all about Desmond. Um, the on island stuff at first I was like, "Ah, I don't care that much, but miles, Charlotte, Daniel meet up with a young woman named Ellie and some others. And as they're getting more and more information and they, they get taken to their camp and they realize that Richard is there and some other people that has a run-in with Sawyer and Juliet. I, I like I wasn't that invested in all of these others in the 1950s until John Locke shows up and he's like, I gotta talk to Richard, I gotta talk to Richard. And the guy who was ambushed in the woods and has now come back. They say, Widmore, go do this thing. Locke looks at him and goes, Charles Widmore? And they're like, yeah, who the fuck are you? And I was like, okay, now I actually care about this 1950s time skipping stuff because we still don't know who this young woman is, but we're going to find out later that she is also key, this feisty young blonde. Uh, And when they mentioned that this guy who's been a dick the whole episode is Charles Widmore and he's on the island with Richard Alpert as part of this team. I'm like, all right, you, you had my interest, but now you have my attention. So I thought that time skipping stuff wasn't as interesting at first. But then when I start to realize that these are not just red shirt stock characters lying around on the Island that they're encountering, they might actually be people of consequence that we're dealing with. And we just, unless we're formally introduced, we might not realize that this is the young version of someone else we already know. Introduced something new into the equation that made those scenes a lot more dynamic. And I love Locke and Richard have a nice long talk. And Richard's like, who are you? And I love that it's Locke who tells him, I will be born on this day at this place. Come and check it out. Because <laughs> we know that Richard does come and check it out. And he sort of tells him, like, you want to find me and you want to know that I'm on the level and that this is real. Then here are the dates and times of where you can run into me. Um, and you can check out that I'm not slinging a bunch of bull. So I thought that was interesting because we do know that Richard shows up at multiple times during John Locke's life previous to this. And then the big cliffhanger is that Charlotte's condition gets way worse and she does have like a hemorrhage and collapses. So that on Island stuff was not the most interesting part of the episode, but what started off being, it felt like filler to me got real interesting real quick when it started to be explained that these are not just red shirts. A lot of these characters might be very important characters. Did you have a hint that that's where they were going, Marcelo? Or were you, when he said Widmore, were you as taken as back as I was? I completely forgot that. So like you, when, when Locke, you know, asked the, the guy in the, in the brown shirt, he goes, Charles Widmore, I just lost my, my, my head basically exploded. I found the stuff on the island in this particular episode really, really, really interesting. And the thing that really kind of annoyed the shit out of me is that when Daniel was being questioned by these others, he has an inability to tell people what they need to know exactly when they ask for it. 
as a writer, I understand you have to keep you have to keep certain story points away from the audience. But can't you just give us a little something? Would it have been so bad if Daniel would have opened up about his feelings for Charlotte earlier and about what is really going on with the nosebleeds? I did wish that we got a little bit more of that information that they are holding back because it can be, it can definitely be frustrating. I thought people who suffer from the nosebleeds weren't in the radius of the island when it first disappeared. But it turns out that the longer you're on this island, that's when the nosebleeds start. My theory was really thrown to shit. This episode took one of the lost characters that I couldn't give a shit about. And they made me love them and they made me sympathize for them in the character of Charlotte. Because her back, as her backstory is revealed in this episode, I'm like, okay, now I love Charlotte and now I don't want her to die. Right. They definitely did a lot to make her more likable in this because she hasn't been that likable leading up to this. And yeah, Daniel does say his theory is that the longer you're exposed to the island, the the more severe your symptoms can get. And Miles says, well, what the, f- what the hell? These guys have been here for three months. We've only been here for two weeks. And he says, or have you have, have you, are you sure you haven't been here before? And so that Miles is like, huh? But we know that Charlotte thinks that she was born here. So she has been here before. And now we're wondering, has Miles also been here before? Because Daniel's implying that maybe they all have higher exposure than they think because Miles does get uh, a nosebleed at some point in this. It's not to the state of Charlotte's, but that theory that Daniel said it's about length of exposure was very interesting for sure. The best stuff, because I love Desmond so much, the Desmond stuff was amazing. And when it starts and he's running through a fishing village or whatever it is, looking for a doctor and we see that Penny gives birth to a baby boy. That was great. We flash forward a little bit to him returning home. And there's a nice moment where Penny and Desmond are together. And he says, you know, I'm from Scotland, the most beautiful part of Britain. And this is where your parents fell in love. He sort of says to the kid and she, she says, yeah, but this is also the place where the father broke your mom's heart. And Desmond's like, well, I left that part out. So we see that they are in love, but there is still like this small resentment for how everything went down. But it may be acknowledging that still keeps their bond very tight. And I love that as Desmond is on this journey to find Faraday's mother and he returns to the place where he met Faraday in the constant, everything is locked up. There is no record of Faraday. There's some sort of cover up happening. So we wonder who covered it up and why. And we find out that Faraday in doing his experiments has actually done some very reckless stuff that has left a woman um, named Teresa like in a coma and her sister says Daniel Faraday did this to her. Then he just disappeared 
And my sister is only lucid at sometimes, and she will sometimes think she's three years old and sometimes think whatever. So we're like, okay, whatever's happening to this Teresa character is kind of this time skipping that we saw with Minkowski. And if Faraday was working on that off island before he got to the island, is this a person who is just lost in time and needs to find their constant? And why would Faraday just abandon her and go straight to the island? There's got to be more at play here. What did you think as this whole mystery and this weird Daniel Faraday's backstory is unfolding as Desmond is playing Sherlock? Love the way that Daniel Faraday's story is being given to us in pieces. But the thing that I have running through my head is that maybe Daniel is trying to skip over this sort of anchor or the anchor point that somebody needs Maybe Daniel is trying to figure out a different way to stabilize someone's mind. As this whole sort of Sherlock adventure was happening with Desmond, we hear about Teresa and we hear that Daniel left Teresa because he he he, he went to go do something or figure something out. That's my working figure right now that um, Daniel is trying another way to stabilize people who are having problems staying in in present time trying to find a better cure that will will actually work so even though he has abandoned this woman it's because he is trying to help her hopefully so that we don't think that daniel's a piece of crap i did love the highlight of the desmond stuff culminates in two scenes the first of which being when he goes to see widmore and he says to widmore I know that you know because he found out that Widmore is the one who was subsidizing Daniel's research. And he says, I need to find Faraday's mother. Tell me where I can find her. And I'm not going to tell you anything about me or Penny. Like, fuck you. Give me the information. And I love that Widmore says, okay, she's in Los Angeles. She's a very private person. Here's the information. And he just wants to know if Penny is safe. And Desmond doesn't even really give him the satisfaction of answering the question. And as he's on his way out, Widmore says, like, just so you know, this has been going on for many, many years. There's a lot more at play than you have any idea of. And you should just get the hell out of Dodge. Keep yourself and my daughter out of this and go back to wherever you have been for these last few years, because shit's about to get real and I don't want you stepping in something that you shouldn't be in. So I thought that was great where Desmond goes there with the intent of really getting the info and kind of telling this guy off and Whitmore lays it out and is very intimidating in those moments. But then Desmond goes back and he tries to lie to Penny to tell her that he's going to let it go. And it was a dead end. And she sees right through it and says, I know you, you are not, going to be able to let this go i know you think that you can let this go and i know that you would want to let this go for me and your son but you can't so me and charlie are going to go with you and as soon as it's revealed that desmond named his son charlie i was just like oh perfect perfect moment the thing that i love about the desmond and penny stuff in this episode at some point, Desmond comes back to the boat and he says, listen, I told you 
that what I had to do would only take a day and um, now I'm done with it and now we can move on and we can just forget it. Penny basically says, as you just illustrated, Matt, I know you, Dez. You're not going to be able to let this go. So I really love the fact that Penny has finally sort of truly accepted Desmond's need to save everybody. That even though her acceptance of Desmond's hero complex might lead to their to their death, I really, really liked that line um, that you just mentioned, Matt. Penny said, listen, if you're going to do this, we have to go with you. So it, so it has to be me, you, and Charlie. And when she said Charlie, I was like, I was just like you, Matt. I was like, that's bloody perfect right there. I'm done. The Penny Desmond moments were just so great. We move on to our final episode that we're going to discuss this week entitled The Little Prince. This one really started to get the action moving on the island and off the island where the main through line is that Kate is really trying to figure out who hired this lawyer to come after her about Aaron. So she has a couple of scenes where she's doing some investigating work on her own. And she eventually teams up with Jack after Jack has left the hospital and they tail the lawyer and they tail him to a motel where he meets with Carol Littleton, Claire's mother. And she's distraught because she thinks that Claire's mother has figured out the truth and is coming after Aaron. And I love that Jack says, I'm going to go. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it right. And Jack goes in and he, he talks to Claire, Carol Littleton. And he's like, I, I know you know about like me. Just leave me, Kate and Aaron alone. And she's like, who is Aaron? And so I love that they... Thought for a moment we thought they solved this mystery, and then they throw another twist at us that it was not Claire's mother at all, and she has no idea. And of course, by by the end of this episode, it's revealed that Benjamin Linus, that slippery son of a bitch, is the one who put this through. But there's lots of good scenes where we see how much Kate cares about Aaron, how distressing this news is that the lie might come out ultimately because it will take. Aaron out of her life, which she can't bear the thought of. So I thought that stuff was very interesting. And Jack tried to play hero, but couldn't really pull it off. And that whole mystery of who hired the the lawyer, of course, it's Benjamin Linus. Like we should have known all along that it was going to be Ben. But I do love that they threw us a red herring that seemed credible. And then they were like, no, you dummies. Of course it was Ben. What did you think in those moments? Yeah, I fell for the red herring. Because all throughout this episode, I was like, this has to be uh, Sun. Sun has to be the one orchestrating this whole goddamn thing. Maybe she wants Aaron. Maybe she wants to take Aaron away from Kate as revenge for what Kate and the others, you know, ultimately did. There is this lovely, lovely scene between Kate and Sun. Kate basically says, I know you didn't agree with what we did, but we had to do it. It was that scene that made me believe that Sun was the person behind um, the lawyer uh, basically asking for Kate's blood to confirm that she was uh, Aaron's mother in reality. Because they do throw you onto that scent for a little bit. 
could Sun be the one pulling these strings? Because we still know that she's working to to accomplish a goal that the others don't really know about. But I love that the off-island culmination of this episode is everybody in the same place getting together. Some of them knowing that they have been brought here. Everyone except Hugo, who is in jail and is loving it. His scene when he talks to Jack on the phone is awesome. When he's just like, I'm in jail and this is great. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what? Uh, so I that was great. But that final scene with the off-island stuff of... Jack has gotten Kate to this spot. Ben and Saeed show up and then son and Aaron pull up in the car and Kate is mad when she finds out that Jack is working with Ben. Saeed is reluctantly part of this because he still doesn't trust Ben. And I love when Kate then dawns on her and she goes, this is the motherfucker. This is the guy you're the one who's trying to take Aaron and Jack's looking at her like that can't be right. And Ben goes, no, no, she's right. And, uh, and they're like, what? And he said, she said, can't you just leave me and my son alone? And he says, I can't because he's not your son. And that moment is just like, Ben, you bastard. But I love that. Ben's like, yeah, I'm not even going to pretend that this wasn't me. I'm not even going to try to deny it, which is the thing that I always say, like, I hate when characters are caught dead to rights and can't own up. So I do love that Ben was like, yep, you got me. You got me. And then we see that Sun is taken aback that all of these people are in this same spot because she did not know that Ben was going to be there. And as she's got Aaron sleeping in the back seat and she's looking at the photos she has of Jack and Ben palling around, she grabs a gun before she gets out of the car. And that's the that's where we leave the off Island action. And I was like, Oh my gosh, son with a gun. What is going to happen? What do you think she's going to do? Marcelo? Is she going to go John wick on this mofo or what? When this whole scene was going down of, you know, kid putting it together that the person that has been making her life a living hell was Benjamin Linus. If there was a moment for you to lose your shit, that moment would be right now. But I was so happy that Kate basically restrained herself. Kate in the earlier seasons would have would have would have taken Ben's head off. Kate is sort of understanding that Ben is a different person now. Do you think Ben is a different person? Or do you think he's still like, you know, out for number one? He pretty much has shown that he is still the conniving ulterior motive Benjamin Linus, which is why. It's very tough to take him at face value when he's saying, like, I'm helping you. I'm helping you guys because he does stuff like the lawyer stunt that we wonder, is he really helping or is there something else that is going to happen if they all get back to the island? Son, being the being the voyeur and watching everything go down, I don't know if she's going to get out of the car and go John Wick on Benjamin Linus or she's going to come to her senses and drive away. If she gets out of the car and kills Benjamin Linus, is he that important to the greater plan? It's the Oceanic Six that have to go back. And if Sun kills Ben, who's going to get Hurley out of jail? Obviously, the Oceanic Six can't go and get Hurley out because how, how would that go down? Well, I struggle 
to to come up with a logical reason as to what's going to happen next with Sun and the gun that she has. She's going to come to her better senses. She's going to figure out someone to leave Aaron with and she's going to join our losses. How she's going to do that, I have no clue. There was a great scene in this episode where, you know, we know that Sun is kind of out for revenge, but she says to Kate, you know, Kate, remember that time? <laughs> it's it's so awkward. She's like, hey, remember that time where you said you'd get my husband off the boat and then you fucking left him to die? And she says it in a nicer way, but it made me think like, oh, Sun is really holding on to this. And obviously she would hold on to the grief, but the fact that she is kind of assigning blame and you're like, well, if she kind of blames Kate, where else is she placing that blame? And what else would she do to try and get the justice that she thinks she needs? But the irony being that this episode reveals Jin did not die on the freighter. Jin has been hanging out uh, Titanic style on a door in the ocean. And on the island timeline, there's a point where he gets pulled into a raft by a bunch of Frenchies and he is alive. He's not looking good. But Jin is not dead. He is alive. They are just off the island on the shores. So presumably skipping through time as well. And maybe Sun, you know, obviously doesn't know that Jin's alive. But her vengeance and thirst for blood is misplaced because her husband is not dead. I am so happy that you sort of put in that little cog of what's happening on the island with all the time skipping. There's a couple of specific scenes. One scene is when when Sawyer and John are walking through the jungle and you see this sort of light in the sky. That light in the sky was the light from the hatch. Other scene that I particularly love in this episode is when Sawyer gets uh, separated from the others. And he sees the birth of Aaron and he sees Kate helping out Claire give birth to Aaron. The other scene that I really love so much is when our losties on the island are on a boat. (laughs) And all of a sudden, these people out of nowhere on another boat start shooting at them. They're in a standoff in the middle of the goddamn ocean. And then another time jump comes and and as the time jump is in process, Sora goes, oh, thank you. When they come out of the time jump, it turns out that it's pouring rain and it's just it's just in an awful way. Yeah, that was a classic Sawyer moment. And that was the time where the time skipping paid off for them. There's been a few times where they've almost come close with death and then a flash has happened and it's been just in the nick of time to save them. So I love that they are getting shot at and all of a sudden... The flash starts to happen and Sawyer, yeah, just the perfect, thank you, Lord. And then torrential downpour, they're going to die on the ocean. And he's like, I take that back. So, so good. And perfect delivery by Josh Holloway. But in reference to what you said earlier about revisiting moments that we've already seen, that was really nice, especially because earlier in the episode, 
after Charlotte has had her big incident where she is unconscious for 10 minutes and her time skipping is getting her time sickness is getting way worse. Um, Locke tells them, look, I think the only way for us to stop this is to get everyone to come back who left because Richard was about to tell me how to do that. And then we had a time skip. And Sawyer's like, why the hell would we want to do that? And Locke just says to him, don't you want her to come back, James? And that moment is such a wound for Sawyer, even though he and Juliet are having a lot of banter in these episodes. That is a reminder that, you know, Sawyer's connection to Kate and the way he cares for Kate is very deep, even if he's not willing to acknowledge it. So that then later when he sees Kate in the jungle as she's giving birth, uh, as she's giving uh, Claire assistance in giving birth, it is such a nice moment where, you know, you can feel that he wants to reach out, run over and give her a hug, but he can't because you can't interfere with this time stuff. And that's not what happened, but it reinforces that he is starting to think Locke might be right. And so I do love that Locke says, Hey, the way we got to do this is we got to go to the orchid. So then they head to the beach and that's when they find the outrigger canoes and they find that water bottle for Ajira airways which seems like some sort of breadcrumb that might be important later, given that it gets a full close up and they, they fully mention it. So I thought that was very interesting. And as they are skipping through time and they are saying like, you know, what is done is done and they can't intervene. We start to wonder. And as more of them start to get this time sickness, it really does put a ticking clock outside of that 70 hours that we know about off Island but on island, we don't know how much longer these people that we love and that we've gotten to know can survive if they can't stop this island from skipping through time. By the end of this episode, Charlotte, Miles, and Juliet are all in a bad way. And that is terrifying, especially because now Juliet, as much as I have ragged on her in previous seasons, is becoming more likable. And that is definitely because they have teamed her up with Sawyer and her and Sawyer have such a good rapport that she's getting to be more likable and isn't seeming as backstabbing and conniving as she has in the past. So when she starts to get the nosebleed, it's like, uh oh, we, we don't want her to go. And the gin, the gin reveal is something that felt inevitable only because I have said there is a rule in TV you can usually assume if you don't explicitly see the character die on screen, never consider they are actually dead because that's always a great loophole that writers use. If you didn't see the exact death or if we cut away a second before something miraculous could have happened in that second. What did you think when Jin got pulled out of the water and then we find out a few minutes later who pulled him out of the water? The people that pulled Jin out of the water is Russo and her people. This episode ends with Russo, say, with Russo saying her name. And when that happened, I just lost my effing mind. It was so beautifully done and beautifully crafted. And like I said before, moments like this would not be possible if it wasn't for the writer's deciding to introduce this time jumping thing 
Yeah, and it allows them to take mythology that we have known about because we heard about it from someone and actually show us those moments in their actual happening for the first time, quote unquote, on island stuff. So, yeah, we know that Danielle Russo and her French research team are mostly doomed, but now we're with them and we might see how that all plays out. And so it's it's like giving us a prequel within the show of the stuff we've only heard about. Now they're saying, you've heard about it. Now we can show it, which justifies the decision for this time skipping and adds more intrigue that I didn't think we had when they first started the time skipping stuff at like in the first episode of this season, I was like, eh, but by now it's like, okay, this time skipping is fun because we're seeing a lot of shit that we've only heard about. And I thought that was nice. And as this season is starting to ramp up, they really are throwing everything and the kitchen sink into this by just going completely nuts with the lore and the weirdness. And I love it. If you guys think that this batch of episodes was fun, I can't wait till we get to the very end because what happens at the very end, no spoilers, but that's some crazy fucking shit. All right, guys, that'll do it for this week's edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys like what we do here at all and you want to reach out to us, there are a couple ways to do that. First, you can reach out to us on Twitter by just simply using the hashtag Radio 815 or... You can add us on Twitter at JJUniverse815. If we ever get any comments, we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you want to reach out to me personally, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. Matt, if the good folks at home want to uh, reach out to you and ask you about Lost or anything else, what would be the best place for them to do so? The best place is also on Twitter at Matt Crandall. With all the housekeeping out of the way... Until next week, as I often say, we'll talk back soon.